Hello, happy Easter and welcome to the final edition of our series on the cross. So far we've asked lots of New Testament authors why Jesus went to the cross, why he had to go to the cross, what it achieved, what it meant. And we've had uh, quite a variety of answers really. But today we come to the final and, in my opinion, the highest, most glorious theology of the cross of them all, that that we find in John's Gospel. Now, it is a bit difficult to unravel. It isn't simply a case of two words like uh, but God that we found in uh, Luke and Acts. And so we need to pick up some clues along the way. So you need to think of yourself as Poirot or Lewis or whoever your favourite sleuth is. And we're going to do that mainly through John's vocabulary. So we're going to have to um, explore a few Greek words. So I hope that you enjoy that. But uh, I hope that I can make it easy enough so that you get it. So we need to look particularly at three things as we go through John's Gospel. We need to look at how Jesus predicts the cross, how he describes the cross, and then finally how he actually goes to the cross. And in each case we're going to find something that's very, very different from the way in which the other three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, as they're called, um, do those things. How Jesus predicts the cross, how he describes it, and how he actually goes there. And we're going to come, finally, to uh, a pretty amazing conclusion. So let's jump right in. How does Jesus predict the cross. Now all four Gospels are very clear that Jesus, if I can put it like this, could see he'd got it coming. And there are lots of passages in the other three Gospels where Jesus tries to prepare his disciples for that death. So just one example, uh, Mark eight thirty one. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That's what's known as a passion prediction, and you get loads of them in the synoptics. And you do get the same kind of thing in John, but Jesus uses a very different word with a very different idea behind it. And the word is ora, which means time or hour. Uh, you can hear that's where ora uh, comes or where hour comes from, ora. And 12 times in John, that word is used of something which is approaching, uh, but in the early stages, not here yet. So Mary asks Jesus what they're going to do about the uh, lack of wine at the wedding feast. And Jesus says, my hour, my aura has not yet come. Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman by the well and the time is coming 
the aura is coming when true worship will be offered. The aura later on is coming when the dead will be raised and so on. And then you get two rather strange references where the crowds want to kill Jesus for what they see as blasphemy. But they can't kill him because, John says, his aura, his time, had not yet come. And then as you get nearer to the cross itself, it becomes clear that the aura, the time, is the time for Jesus' death. And the climax of his whole ministry, and it's all been leading up to this point, and we're not there yet, the time hasn't come yet, um, is not his resurrection, but his death. And the last of those 12 uses of aura comes in John 17, just before Jesus goes to his death. Father, the time has now come. The aura has arrived. Glorify your son. Now, we don't tend to think of death as glory we're used to the phrase death or glory and uh, when you think back again to the very beginning of this this series when we look at looked at Luke and Acts death is defeat but God turned it round not for John the cross is the glorious climax of all that Jesus set out to do and as Jesus works relentlessly towards his aura, that is going to be a time of glory, not of defeat. So that's how Jesus uh, kind of approaches the cross. How does he describe his death? And again, we're going to see a very important Greek word, which is not there in the synoptics. John does use the uh, usual terms for crucify, crucifixion, of course, but he use, uses one extra word, and that is the word hupsoo. And that is quite deliberately a word with two meanings. First of all, it means to lift up, and you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I am lifting up my coffee cup, off my desk as I'm speaking to you. That word would be hupsoto, simply to, to raise something upwards. But it also means lift up in the sense of exalt. Um, you may know that old song, Lord, I lift your name on high. That That's nothing to do with physically lifting something. It means to exalt or again to glorify. And you get that, that same double meaning in that great processional hymn, Lift High the Cross. And uh, if you're that kind of Anglican, you would walk around the church with a cross lifted high. But you would also, in that worship, exalt and glorify the cross on which Jesus won our salvation. And John chooses this word deliberately as Jesus it is lifted up on the cross as he is physically hoisted up into the air. He is also lifted up in the sense of being glorified. And so that, that exactly parallels 
that idea of the word ora as the time for Jesus' glorification at the climax of his ministry being the time when he is crucified. So if John is saying not that the cross is a defeat which God needs to undo, if he's saying that the cross is is the glorification of Jesus, the climax of his ministry, then you would expect him, wouldn't you, actually to describe the crucifixion differently. And he doesn't disappoint. And there are some significant differences from the synoptic Gospels. And I wonder if you've noticed these as over the years you've heard the uh, Passions reading. First of all, Jesus' trial is very different. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus is tried by Herod and the Jewish leaders. His crime is blasphemy. He claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be the Messiah. And he obviously isn't, therefore that's blasphemy. Luke is slightly different. The the crime for Luke was threatening revolution and both Jews and Romans of of course feared the uh, hassle that a revolution would bring. But John is very different. He has just the briefest appearance before Herod but the vast majority of the trial material Jesus is before Pilate, the the representative of the Roman Emperor himself. And what's the issue? Is it blasphemy against the Jewish law? Is it revolution? No, it's kingship. The whole issue between him and Pilate, is Jesus a king or not? And you almost get the impression that by the end Pilate is perhaps just a little bit convinced. He's the one who dresses Jesus in a purple robe, the the colour of majesty in the Roman Empire, and presents presents him to the people. Here is your king. Pilate is the one who puts that sign on the cross, the king of the Jews, and the Jews don't like that. You you must change that. You must put, he said he was king of the Jews, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And Pilate says, no, what I have written, I have written. And the whole point is that, in fact, Jesus is king. And like that centurion in in Mark's gospel, Pilate is the one who actually gets it. So Jesus goes to the cross not as a criminal, but as a king. And so John tells that story differently. We're not dealing with some riffraff here, we're dealing with a king. And so Jesus in John's gospel is not mocked. He's not mocked by other criminals alongside him on crosses. He's not mocked by bystanders as in the synoptics. That would not be appropriate. You don't treat a king like that. There is no darkness for three hours over the land that you get in the other gospels. 
And above all, there is no cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? None of those are there in John because none of those would be appropriate for a king. What you get instead is that triumphant cry as Jesus dies, tetelestai, it is finished, not, oh, it's all over, but it's done, it's accomplished, it's finished, nothing else left to do. And so the picture for John, I hope you're picking this up by now, the picture for John is not human evil triumphing over Jesus until God can come along and reverse it. It's not the execution of a criminal. It's not even the offering of a sacrifice for sin, although there are some elements of that. No, for John, the cross is the crowning of a king. The time has been approaching. It's now here. It's time for King Jesus to begin his reign. It's the time when as he is lifted up physically on the cross, so he is glorified. In Luke, it's the resurrection which is the moment of victory, not for John. It's the cross and all that is done. There, there was controversy a few years ago, you may remember this, with um, a certain Anglican bishop doubting the uh, truth of the resurrection. I can remember saying at the time, the thing that convinces me above all that the resurrection happened is that John tells us about it because he doesn't need to. His theology doesn't need a resurrection because it is all accomplished on the cross. And the fact that John does have that story, there's no earthly reason why he should put that bit in unless it actually happens. So that, that's why I don't have any problem with uh, believing in the resurrection. But it's the cross and that moment of victory and glorification, which is what Jesus has been working towards. So now, going back to John chapter 12, now the prince of this world is driven out. The usurping ruler is thrown out as the real king starts to reign. Now, John 12, this world is brought to judgment. Another Greek word, crisis, where we get crisis from. Not a kind of uh, crisis point, but it means make your mind up time. It, it's a crossroads. Which way are you going to go here? Who are you going to obey? Who is going to rule over you? And now people are drawn to Jesus, the glorified King. Jesus reigns from the cross as his enemies are scattered before him. But perhaps the greatest climax of all is the moment of his death. In the synoptics, he gives up his spirit. Uh, in other words, he breathes his last. And once again, John uses a different Greek word, paradidomi. And what that means is hands over, not, not gives up, 
but passes on to someone else. Now, John has all, uh, Jesus has already told Nicodemus in John 3 that he's got to be born anothen, another Greek word. We usually translate that born again, but it can also mean born from above. Uh, you've got to be born from above of water and spirit. And now as the disciples stand beneath the cross, water from Jesus' pierced side flows down and he hands over his spirit to them. He paradidomes his spirit. And the church is born quite literally from above of water and spirit. The king reigns and his victorious church is born. That, says John, is why Jesus went to the cross, so that as a king he could begin his reign triumphing victoriously once for all over everything evil and calling men, women and children to his kingdom. As a wonderful Passion Tide hymn, uh, which you may know again, an ancient Latin text called Vexilla Regis. Fulfilled is all that David told in true prophetic song of old. Amidst the nations, God, saith he, hath reigned and triumphed from the tree. Now that's a very different story, isn't it, from the synoptics? Or is it? It's all very nice that Jesus reigns as king from the cross. It's great that evil is defeated. But John does agree with the synoptics in one important aspect. To get there, Jesus has to die. All the blood and the pain and the agony are still there. This is not a quick, easy, trouble-free route to kingship. His reign was won through pain and suffering. And in that cross, suffering and triumph are so close together. Just like life, actually. We could celebrate this weekend Jesus' glorious and eternal reign. But we don't forget how he got there. And neither will we. The Bible promises us we'll reign with him in heaven. But to get there, we often go to hell and back. This is no triumphalistic message, no quick fix. And our prayer today is that, like Jesus, we may endure the suffering of this world so that we may enter glory. Seems funny to have the collect for the third Sunday in Lent on Easter weekend. But this is my favourite collect and I want to end this podcast but also this series with it. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross,
may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to allow myself a week off next weekend and then we'll be back in two weeks time and we're going to start a new series as we attempt to make our way through Paul's letter to the Romans. See you then.